CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Science of Success with your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick. With a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, we explore the boundary where Eastern and Western medicine meet with international yoga expert Tiffany Cruikshank. We discuss how cultivating body awareness can put your nervous system in relaxation mode, how meditation impacts your metabolism, the lessons Tiffany has learned from more than 25,000 patient visits, and how to jump in and start yoga today as we demystify and examine some of the science behind the practices of yoga. We have another lucky winner, this time an international listener. Christian Strider from Munich, Germany. Congratulations, Christian. You've won our latest $100 Amazon gift card giveaway. If you're listening now and you haven't entered in to win on the next drawing, keep listening. It's super easy to do it. As you know, the science of success has spread across the globe with more than 450,000 downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, hitting number one new and noteworthy and more. I'm giving away something every single month to my listeners because my listeners are amazing and I love them. This month, I'm giving away a $100 Amazon gift card to one lucky listener. If you're already on the email list, you're already automatically entered to win. If you want to get on it, you can just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222 to be entered to win. Again, that's SMARTER to 44222. And if you want 10 extra entries into the giveaway, all you have to do is leave a positive review on iTunes and email me a screenshot of that review to matt at scienceofsuccess.co. That's M-A-T-T -T at scienceofsuccess.co. 
And if you're an international listener and you cannot text in, just go to our website, scienceofsuccess.co, and enter the email list. That will also put you in the drawing for the Amazon gift card. In our last episode, we talked about how random dice rolls can influence judges to give people longer jail sentences, how so-called experts are massively influenced by completely random numbers, even when they explicitly deny it, and how you can better understand this crazy phenomenon known as the anchoring effect. If you want to understand how your environment is controlling your decisions, even without you realizing it, and what you can do to combat it, listen to that episode. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show, Tiffany Cruikshank. Tiffany is an international yoga teacher who has been teaching for over 20 years, an author, health and wellness expert, and the founder of Yoga Medicine. She's also internationally known for her focus on fusing the two worlds of Eastern and Western medicine together and applying it to the practice of yoga in an accessible and relevant way. Tiffany, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, we're super excited to have you on here. To kind of kick things off, I'm curious, tell me, how did you get started in the, in the field of yoga? I was actually really young. I was um, a little bit of a troublemaker in my early teens, and my parents sent me off to a wilderness rehab program kind of to get me back into shape. <laughs> um, and it was a really empowering experience for me, learning how to survive and um, there were herbalists out there that took me on plant walks and kind of taught me how to use the plants around me. And it kind of began my investigation into holistic health and really wanting to be able to help others um, in health and wellness. And as soon as I got home, I saw this little sign that said yoga and a phone number. At the time, there weren't really any yoga studios. And um, eventually I remembered it and I went. And being an athlete growing up and being really athletic, the physicality was really interesting to me, but there was always something kind of more that I don't really know that I knew or was really even conscious of at the time, but there was something really intriguing to me. And as a 14 year old girl at the time, it was, you know, these moments of, of also just being comfortable in my skin and, but also being able to explore as with my background and in, in healthcare as well as kind of this intermingling of, of how yoga can also be really an adjunct to our healthcare. And kind of dovetailing off of that, tell me a little bit about how your unique blend of sort of Western science and Eastern medicine helps inform your study of yoga. Yeah. So once I got really interested in yoga and, and herbal medicine, I, I quickly finished up my, my high school and started college at 16 and then um, went off to college and did my pre-med and nutrition, uh, and uh, then went off to Chinese medicine school, was really intrigued by how, you know, the, the art of Chinese medicine and this kind of idea of balance and health and did my Chinese medicine. And then I went off to do a specialty in sports medicine and orthopedics. And when I started seeing patients, one thing I noticed really quickly was that the people, the patients who came and saw me, who, who I had many of them who were yoga students as well, got better so much quicker than my patients who weren't yoga students. And so one day, finally, a light went off and I was like, well, well, maybe I should start giving some what I called at the time yoga prescriptions to my patients who were not yoga students. And, and I did. And it was usually only one to three poses that they would do, you know, each day on their own for a few minutes and found that the response was really great. Um, you know, that their their response to my treatments improved and, um, you know, that, that things seemed to be going a lot easier. So I over time, over the past 12 years or so of running teacher trainings have slowly integrated that into what I do. Um, training other teachers is one thing that I've always enjoyed as a, as a healthcare practitioner, as well as, as a yoga teacher is 
for me, what's really important, I think, is people understanding how things work. We know now the power of the mind and how important it is in health and healing. And then being able to bring that into, you know, our work with whether as patients or students, just in this understanding of how East and West meet, how we can kind of look at this Eastern philosophy of yoga or Chinese medicine in a Western mental context and kind of bring in anatomy and physiology, not only to make it more effective potentially, but also really so that our students and patients can, or my students and patients at the time, um, could really make sense of it. I really think that's an important part of your body's ability to integrate and also respond to treatments. So I'm a total novice about this. I've taken like one yoga class in my entire life. <laughs> what kind of differentiates yoga from other forms of exercise? You know, I'd say the biggest thing is, is cause especially now, because yoga is changing and there's so much that's getting kind of pulled into this modernized yoga, which, which is great, I think. Um, but I think the big overarching theme is this mindfulness, um, you know, that it's, it's not just calisthenics or, um, you know, cross training, which we see a lot of cross training stuff in yoga now and Pilates and calisthenics. And it really is a mindfulness that's overarching it. There's a, a purposeful awareness of the body and the breath and this kind of orchestration of, um, how the mind and the body connect and um, reconnecting, you know, that awareness in the body. And as a healthcare practitioner, I think, you know, it's a really big part of using yoga in the medical um, kind of communities because it's, for me, the foundation of, of working with patients. You know, it's really difficult as a healthcare provider to work with people who have no body awareness, <laughs> right? To, to come in and be like, I don't know, my shoulder just hurts and not be able to answer any questions. And one of the great things, I think, if nothing more, which I, there's a lot more to it than this, but that yoga just gives you the, this body awareness, you know, that I think is helpful both, you know, within your context of your relationship with your doctors, but also as kind of like a owner's manual to your unique body, whether that's finding a diet that works for you or finding an exercise protocol that works for you or um, so many other things, you know, so that we can really notice what is this mindful awareness that is yoga in some context um, outside of our yoga practice as well. Tell me more about the concept of body awareness. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's just a general phrase that we use to talk about um, really becoming intimate with the experience of sensations that happen under your skin, which really isn't very different from meditation. Um, I'm a huge fan of meditation and, um, you know, I think meditation can be, you know, as a part of yoga is a branch of yoga as well, but it's this ability to translate that into movement, into how we are in our world and our relationships to be able to feel, you know, the sensations in my feet when I'm standing or, you know, in the grocery line, or to be able to feel this experience in maybe my back, even while I'm sitting at my desk. And, you know, body awareness to me is also implies a, a, a lack of judgment, you know, that, that, yes, you know, obviously we want to be able to take these cues in yoga and be able to move away from pain and stay safe, you know, in our world and our lives, but that there's also this ability just to observe and to notice how these things influence us. One of the kind of the pillars of yoga philosophy is this ability to kind of what we talk about is soften the fluctuations of the mind, these ups and downs of, you know, the high points and the low points so that we can find some place in the middle where we can really just be reflective and, and be able to notice whether that's body sensations or meditating or playing with our family. <laughs> so meditation is something that I'm a huge advocate of. 
And uh, we've had a number of uh, episodes and guests in the past talk about meditation. One of the questions or one of the things I'm really curious about, and, and you just touched on it, is how does yoga sort of relate to meditation? And also, how is it different from meditation? Well, I think first off, most people in the yoga world would would agree that meditation is a part of yoga, is a type of yoga. Um, though I know kind of nowadays, meditation kind of can live in its own world sometimes as well. I don't think you have to, many people think of yoga as the asanas or the physical postures um, that we put our bodies into, but meditation is, to most people in the yoga world, considered a, a branch of, of yoga. Um, in really traditional yoga, you know, the way it's been taught in the past is that the first step is really learning the asanas, you know, these physical postures, you know, downward facing dog or upward facing dog or triangle pose. And um, with yoga medicine, we do a lot of training our teachers of how to apply this as more of um, not physical therapy per se, but more of a physical practice to be able to kind of tune the body in a way that's more therapeutic. But the whole purpose of the yoga then was to kind of create this sense of body awareness, but also comfort in our bodies, which, you know, is a constant fine tuning process as our bodies change, depending on the circumstances we put them in. But the it allows us to kind of train the body to be able to sit. And the next step would be the breathing practices. So the breathing practices are made to train the nervous system so that eventually the final practice is meditation. And so, you know, traditionally the asanas, the physical postures are really kind of like, you could think of them like the gateway to meditation. So some traditionalists might say, you know, if you're able to meditate and sit, great, maybe, maybe you don't need the physical postures. Maybe you don't need the yoga. Um, I think, you know, in our modern world, that all of it has different kind of important things. You know, this was kind of back in a time where the purpose of yoga was become to become enlightened, which, you know, I think there's many translations of what that might mean um, in a modern day context as well. But I think the different branches of yoga, the physical, the, the breathing and the meditation all provide us with very different things that all, I think, feed off of each other as well. And that reminds me of uh, the book Autobiography of a Yogi, <laughs> uh, which, you know, he talks about kind of the concept of yoga, which, which, you know, was written many, many years ago. And, and really today seems more like he's talking about meditation than yoga. And I guess I'd never really conceived of it as that uh, meditation is essentially a type of yoga, in which case then I practice every day. <laughs> yeah, that's an old school text. I mean, that I mean, there's some there's some far out stuff in there. My first teaching training I did was actually from the Yogananda lineage, which is, you know, autobiography of a yogi. And, you know, I think a lot of it's still very relevant as well, but it's, you know, it is looking at the meditation and a lot of the older practices, the oldest practice of yoga they can find really is around meditation before they started to see the asanas, the physical postures coming about. So focusing a little bit on kind of the, the asana side of the equation, what are some of the health benefits that you see from people who practice uh, yoga on a regular basis? Well, I think in a modern context, the, the physical practice is really relevant because one big thing, I mean, I think many of us are sitting in desks, you know, for long periods or maybe in cars um, or maybe that's carrying babies around or kids around. I mean, we have very awkward scenarios that we do. And maybe your job is very different than that, but we have repetitive movements that we have to create, whether you're an athlete or a desk worker, that have our bodies really changing to accommodate this. And, you know, this experience in our body, these sensations really change how we see the world around us. They change our perspective. They change how we both interact with ourselves as well as the people around us. So I think 
you know, just the, the physical postures themselves to, if nothing more than just to kind of feel more comfortable in your body, um, you know, is a really important part of that. We look at, you know, also this ability to have balance of both elasticity of the soft tissues, the ability to be pliable and, and have, um, you know, the right amount of range of motion, but also strength in the tissues to stabilize and support the joints for kind of the integrity of the long-term health of the joints. And, you know, to me, I think yoga for most people, because whether they're an athlete or a desk worker, we have very repetitive movements that we do or stationary postures that we take that yoga kind of challenges us to move in new ways, which, you know, when we look at it from a physical medicine standpoint is really important that our bodies are challenged and moved and stretched and strengthened in different ways so that, you know, the deeper structures of the joint aren't getting worn or irritated over time from constant, you know, movement in the same patterns. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to it, but that's, I think that's one big part of it, you know, for the physical practice. And again, you know, then there's like, I'm sure if, as a meditator yourself, there's the sense of like, when you can sit more comfortably and, you know, a lot of the yoga postures are focused around hip opening so that there's this ability to sit comfortably, um, so that you can meditate so that your mind's not constantly going, ah, my back, my back, my back. <laughs> there's these moments of being able to just sit comfortably. And I think that uh, going back to the idea of, you know, many people today are sort of knowledge workers or desk workers. Uh, there's a phrase that gets thrown around that sitting is the new smoking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it seems like yoga may be a really beneficial tool to kind of help your body recover from the fact that you're sort of have these repeated stresses again and again of sitting, typing, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we really love, I love to teach our teachers and we really specialize in with yoga medicine is really fine tuning it for the individual, you know, so that if there are physical injuries or repetitive motions or illnesses that the practice really should be applied in a very different way for each person. Um, that really not only helps the, with the kind of the physical therapy side of things, but also really this mind body connection, the breath, the nervous system, the ability to kind of retrain how the nervous system perceives both stimulus as well as our awareness of ourselves in our bodies and our awareness of ourselves in the world around us. Um, and this regulation of parasympathetic tone, which is so, I mean, gosh, we could talk another hour just on that <laughs> and how important that is in the yoga, both in the effects we see so much in the research now in yoga. A lot of it is really looking at how it affects the, the parasympathetic nervous system. And we know that the parasympathetic nervous system really has effects on this global system of the body, whether we're talking organs or muscles or cognitive function. Um, and so we see pretty potent effects from, from that work as well. Uh, dig in a little bit more about the concept of the parasympathetic nervous system. That's not something that we've talked about before on the podcast, and I'm sure listeners would love to kind of understand that concept fundamentally and also maybe some of the research behind how that's related to yoga. Yeah, it's actually something we've known for a long time, and, and many people probably have taken um, anatomy and physiology in college or, or otherwise probably have, have learned about it at some point. This these simple systems of the, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is broken down into parasympathetic and sympathetic. And it's getting a lot more hype on and the media and the internet now, but this idea, the sympathetic is really more of the fight or flight and the parasympathetic is this relaxation mode. What's important though, is the fight or flight was really designed, you know, to get us out of trouble. <laughs> and there was a bear coming, we would run really quickly, or maybe in a modern day context, 
lifting a car off of someone potentially these you know really serious significant situations where our body releases stress hormones to really help us respond to significant situations by putting more energy and blood in our muscles by taking it out of the organs to really deal with this acute stress stressor what that means though is that all of the other function of the body are really put off for a while they're put on hold and um and so, you know, it's really helpful at the time, but, you know, when our bodies need to slow down and do things like digest our food, extract nutrients, sleep at night, heal, repair, detoxify, all these really important processes that happen inside the organs, inside the body that we don't see, that we don't really feel so much, um, need to happen during that parasympathetic mode um, and, and do happen during that parasympathetic mode. So it's it's an interesting conundrum, I think, because in our modern world, you know, we're so focused on our to-do list, right? I, we all are. I am the same. Um, you know, we've got things we're trying to accomplish each day or in maybe our goals even potentially for the year or our lifetime. You know, we're constantly checking off what we've done. And it's really difficult to check off, you know, who puts on their to-do list. Like, today I did nothing. <laughs> today I just sat and relaxed. But the reality is that time when we slow down, that time when we're relaxing a little bit more, whether that's you know still doing a little bit of work on our computer or not, but those those times when we can find that relaxation mode is when our bodies can actually take care of themselves, um, you know, and start to process not only nourishment but also you know elimination of of waste or toxins in the body that you know need to get rid of be gotten rid of, and so it's a really valuable part of our bodies that happen internally that we don't see. Um, and so it's hard to put a value on them. You know, it's hard to say, gosh, I really need to spend more time just relaxing. <laughs> I mean, I think many of us are getting that now as we start to understand how important stress is. Um, but when we look at the nervous system and this parasympathetic versus sympathetic, being able to relax is really important. And, you know, I like to think of it like a light switch. It should be something where, you know, our bodies can flip back and forth, just like flipping a light switch from going and doing and creating, which is also a very important mode. Sympathetic mode is still also significant, but that we should be able to flip right back into parasympathetic. And that's where we often run into trouble is we lose this kind of what we call parasympathetic tone, um, which is just like a, a muscle in the body that needs to be built up through learning and training um, and really experiencing this relaxation mode over and over again so that our bodies can flip back and forth from, you know, our work time day to being able to sleep at night, to slowing down to eat, to, you know, slowing down during our day for those moments of relaxation where the body can really nourish itself. And, you know, it's just a simple yoga practice can be great at that. It doesn't really need to be anything fancy. So yoga is a potential tool that you can use to kind of build that parasympathetic muscle. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just having body awareness, it starts to turn the nervous system into what's happening inside of the body versus all of these external stimulus, um, which is, you know, it's part of the traditional path of yoga is to kind of like take your, take your mind away from all these, you know, these distracting stimulus to be able to draw it to one point so that whether you're trying to focus on your work and improve cognitive function, you're able to focus on the one thing at hand or, you know, be able to relax and allow your body to digest. There's this sense of kind of pulling our body awareness into itself so that, you know, our, our bodies can focus on what's important. Um, and so, you know, the body awareness within a yoga practice of being able to just show up to a yoga class, whatever class that might be, or maybe you're working one-on-one -on -one with a teacher and, and lie on your back and go from, maybe you've gone from a long day at work and you lie on your back and all of a sudden you notice that, wow, I was really tense. 
And it's not so much about having to relax, but part of it is just noticing those sensations. Wow, I really hold a lot of tension here all day long. And, you know, before the nervous system can change, it's, you know, it has to notice that there's something wrong. So the body awareness is the foundation of that. And then learning what it feels like to relax, learning this parasympathetic response, this relaxation response through even just gentle yoga practices, restorative poses, yin, yin practices, um, breathing practices, meditation, you know, obviously is, is a part of retraining the parasympathetic nervous system. However, for people who are, you know, maybe more tense or stressed out or unable to relax, it can be much harder to, to start in meditation for many people. So that dovetails into another question I had about the different types of yoga. And, you know, I've, I've done uh, a single um, Bikram yoga class before, for example, you know, I've done one or two, I guess, sort of regular yoga classes. What are the, the different sorts of yoga practices and, and are there different benefits from the different types? Or I guess, could you kind of go into that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of difference from one style to another. Um, you know, there's the more vigorous styles of, um, Bikram or hot yoga, uh, vinyasa yoga, power yoga, ashtanga yoga, which are really more movement based and, um, definitely more strength based and, um, you know, just more active, I guess, than some of the other forms you know, definitely those within those, they're going to have different attributes. I'd say, you know, for someone who's looking for a more active practice, who feels like movement is really helpful for them, you know, and, and I, I always really, I like to have a, I like to teach my teachers a brainy understanding of, of why and how to use things, but with my patients and my students and, and my teachers as well, I think one thing that's really important, the of utmost importance is that you recognize how your body feels both during and after these practices to know how to apply it. So if you go to, you know, an Ashtanga or a Vinyasa class or one of these more vigorous classes, Bikram class, and you feel really tired afterwards, you know, it might be that you, your body really just needs something more mellow. Um, people who need to move, who've got to let some energy out and need to exercise often feel really invigorated after a, a really you know, kind of vigorous movement-based practice. But, you know, obviously there's differences between teachers and, you know, levels in each one of those. So, you know, if you're new to yoga, you just want to start with it, find a place that offers some beginner classes to help, you know, you learn the proper alignment and form and things and, and just trying them out to find one that you like. You know, there's the other side of it, which is more of the relaxation um, side of it, which is a more mellow practices for people who need to de-stress, um, who need to relax, who need in many ways, more of the parasympathetic stuff that we talked about. Um, restorative yoga is one where you're, you know, using a lot of props to support the body so that you can really relax and notice the breath, notice the sensations. Yin yoga is, um, a type of yoga where poses are held for three to five minutes, um, in order to really affect the connective tissue, which is really great for range of motion for people who are really tight. And then, you know, there's pranayama practices that really focus on the breathing, and then all sorts of combinations in between there. Um, there's many different styles. Iyengar is a great one. Iyengar is also very alignment based. It's a very kind of more of a, a set system developed by a man named Iyengar um, and is very alignment focused. And, um, and then Hatha yoga is kind of a general term for really any of the asana practices, but also can be used as a term for kind of more moderately paced that have some movement and also some relaxation and body awareness, which can be like a nice middle, middle ground if you're not sure where to begin. 
But I really recommend that people sample out, not only teachers, because every teacher is going to be slightly different, as well as styles. And, and if you're new to try and find beginner-friendly classes, because it is, it is helpful to get a little extra insight. Um, there's so many people practicing yoga nowadays that the intermediate classes often kind of skip over a lot of the beginning stuff, assuming that people know that and have heard it. And, you know, and then you never really, you never really feel like you understand it. So it's, it's nice to kind of understand what you're doing first in a beginner class or even just working one-on-one with a teacher for a little while. But there's a lot of variation out there within those as well. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. And that's something personally, you know, I've felt a little bit of almost overwhelm of being interested in yoga, but also being like, well, I don't know if this class or that class is is the class I should take. I'm curious for (laughs) for someone who's listening or someone like me even who maybe wants to get started, uh, but hasn't really ever done it. What is what's kind of the best first step for somebody to take? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, just to be really simple, if you're looking for something more active, I'd I'd look for something that's like vinyasa based. That's kind of a a very big category of yoga um, that you can find in most places. Um, And if you're looking for something more mellow, looking for more restorative or yin, and then, you know, just searching yoga in your area and reading the descriptions. I think you learn a lot from someone's bio. And the beauty of yoga nowadays is that we usually in many in most places, there's a lot of options. So you can find a teacher who sounds interesting to you. Um, but you know, it should be enjoyable to some extent though, you know, it might be more difficult and challenging whether that's to relax or to in, you know, the more vigorous classes to in a physical sense. Um, but you know, to, to find something that feels helpful to you, which is going to be very different from one person to another and to kind of let your, let your gut guide you on that one. And in terms of other sort of exercise styles or exercise, you know, other types of exercise, would you say there are certain things that maybe work well in conjunction with yoga or certain things that, uh, you know, you might want to gravitate towards? 
Well, I mean, there's a lot of different takes on that. I think, you know, I do a lot with athletes and training teachers to work with athletes. I think it's, you know, for any sport can be a really great adjunct again, because most sports have repetitive motions or injuries associated with them. And, you know, working through different ranges of motion, restoring range of motion, as well as working the smaller, maybe deeper muscles that really help to stabilize a joint um, in a different way than they would in their sport, um, kind of like a cross-training mentality, can be really helpful. And we see a lot of help with, you know, yoga as cross-training for athletes. Um, you know, if you have a specific sort, especially if you're a high-caliber athlete or you have a really specific injury, I think you really should be working one-on-one with a teacher so that it can really be, you know, accommodated to your unique body. You know, and if you can... If you can find someone and, and um, who can work with you one-on-one, that's always, I think, preferred, especially for specific things. But you, know, you get a lot out of a group class as well, being able to just kind of go through a general practice that can be helpful too. But as far as like specific exercise, I mean, I think, I think it's nice to find what you like. One thing I really believe in as a healthcare provider you know, that is that I always encourage my patients to find something they enjoy that I think exercise is more valuable in a, in a health sense if you can enjoy doing it, that the benefits of it will be much more than if you're, you know, one of those people that just feels like they've got to go pound the pavement for, you know, however many miles a day. And they feel like that's just what they have to do to lose weight. Um, that there is some benefit from the enjoyment of something, whatever that exercise might be. So as an experienced yoga instructor, when you see people starting out, what do you typically see people struggle the most with? Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing is the the unfamiliarity with it. You know, most people come into a yoga class and especially nowadays, now that yoga has become so popular and common, you know, most people when they're new, they go into yoga class and, and maybe even a beginner class. And you're surrounded by people who know the words, they know the names, you know, they're comfortable, they have their yoga clothes on and they're comfortable that, you know, someone who's new might come in in you know, shorts and a t-shirt and not really be able to move so well, you know, it's finding clothes that are comfortable to move around in, which, which doesn't necessarily have to be spandex, but something that's comfortable for you to move around in, you know, it's getting comfortable if it's a vigorous class sweating, not everyone loves sweating and, and, you know, and, and then, you know, most people who come to yoga are a little bit tighter and, though it's really not about being flexible, you know, it's, it's kind of being okay with, um, not being the best in the room and not having to touch your toes, not having to do the pose, you know, this perfect way, but being able to just kind of not worry about what the people are doing around you and listen and kind of tune into your body and breathe and be in the experience rather than be extract, be distracted by all of the, the things around you and to just allow yourself to enjoy it as it is to not have to you know, be able to do the poses a certain way, but to be able to really kind of appreciate the experience for whatever that might be as a beginner, whether that's even just starting to understand what they're saying um, and looking around and kind of figuring it out and then getting more comfortable with it. And that just, you know, that takes, you know, for some people, a few classes, for some people, many classes. And uh, for most people, though, even after just one or two classes, they're, you know, they're starting to get the, the hang of it and feel more comfortable there. Tell me a little bit about the concept of yoga medicine. Yeah, for me, you know, as a, as a healthcare provider, I saw a really big gap. Um, you know, I really wanted to, um, I, I saw a lot of other healthcare providers wanting to provide yoga to their patients. You know, I think it's a great adjunct to so much. Our medical system is so overwhelmed by people with pain in particular, but also ongoing care. You know, people even with a physical therapist often only go for four to 10 visits um, and, and that's a lot more than they go to their doctors and anyone else they see potentially. 
Um, even as an acupuncturist, you know, there's, there's something really great about having continuous care, um, with people as a yoga teacher or sending them off to have, um, continuous care with a yoga teacher with someone who can check in with them ongoing that yoga is really great because our health is not a, an end point. It's a constant state of fluctuation, you know, depending on the circumstances we're in our environment, our work, our families, um, emotionally. And so it's, it's a nice kind of ability to kind of have these like tune-ups, you know, for our, for our lives, for our health. And, you know, as a healthcare provider, I saw the biggest, you know, missing link there was for people to be able to find yoga teachers that they could refer to. Um, you know, in the, the yoga world, it's fantastic. Now we have so many different types of yoga and so many great things out there. But as a healthcare provider, I've always wanted to send my patients to someone who could, you know, talk to them on a, in a Western sense, who understood the anatomy and the physiology and, you know, was going to be able to work with their unique body rather than, you know, maybe as a doctor, you know, you might send someone to a yoga teacher, they might end up going and, and chanting, which, which could be great too, could be very helpful. Um, but, you know, I think as a doctor, you want to have some idea of who you're sending them to. So my whole purpose with yoga medicine was to create some kind of continuity um, of reliability for a resource for doctors to be able to refer their patients to, um, to work with them in a more ongoing sense, especially now that we have so much research around the effects of yoga on the nervous system, on disease and illness and injuries and, and the body in general. And um, for me, the really big missing link was them being able to have a referral source. So we've got on our website, we've got our find a teacher site where people can go and type in their zip code. And it's really transparent. They can see all the teachers around them. They can see exactly the training they've completed with us so that, you know, if they have a shoulder injury or their patient has a shoulder injury, they can find a teacher who's done the shoulder module and they can see exactly what they've studied and how, how much they've trained with us and um, where they are and how to get a hold of them. And so, you know, we've got over, I think over a thousand teachers on there or so now. And all over the world. And so, you know, it's a really great resource, um, for people to connect with, um, teachers more one-on-one, -on -one, which, you know, in a medical sense, as a, as a healthcare provider, it's really difficult to be like, just go to a yoga class. Cause now, as you know, now from this, from this talk so far, it's like, there's a huge, huge expanse of differentiation between different types of yoga practices. And one might be really helpful for your patient and one might be not helpful. It might even make things worse potentially. And, um, you know, I think for the most part, yoga is going to help many people in a, in a general sense, but when you have significant injuries or illnesses or high caliber athletes, um, you know, really wanting results and needing, you know, help, I think it's really important to have someone you can work with one-on-one -on -one who also is really familiar with the body from both an Eastern and a Western perspective. So within your practice, what results or maybe some specific examples or stories of things that you've seen from uh, prescribing people yoga, for lack of a better term? I mean, I've used it for a lot of different things. I mean, most of my specialty is in sports medicine. So most of what I've worked with has been injuries. I was at the Nike world headquarters for six years or so and started their acupuncture program there and taught yoga there. And so a lot of it has been with, you know, orthopedic injuries, physical injuries, but, you know, definitely seen people with long-term sleep problems. I've worked with people with fertility issues, um, athletes, and, you know, I lived in New York for a while and saw a lot of all sorts of interesting celebrities and things. So I would say 70% of my practice though is, you know, orthopedics people with back pain is a big part. Um, anything from herniated discs to, um, you know, just chronic lower back pain that's been undiagnosed hip issues, 
surgical patients who have had a lot of surgeries and not been able to um, find any relief there. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, gosh, I think 25,000 or so patient visits over the past 12 years or so. So it's. Wow. It's been, yeah, it's been a big mix. <laughs> Um, well, you also touched on a moment ago, kind of the research uh, or, and some of the science behind the effects of yoga on the body. I was wondering if you could share uh, maybe a few of the findings or some of your favorite kind of examples that you've seen. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my um, current research, the, the work that I've been doing, really looking at research lately has been really around meditation My because of my latest book on meditation. Um, but, you know, really, to be honest, the research that we see around the actual physical practice is actually much less. Most of the research is around really simple things like breathing practices and meditation and really its effects on anything from eating disorders to people's um, experience going through cancer protocols, really more of like the side effects to um, eating disorders, bulimic, bulimia, um, anxiety, depression, there's a lot of them. Uh, I think, you know, recently I've been looking and really interested in a lot of the research around how meditation really affects our relationship both to food and to metabolism. My whole, my book, Meditate Your Weight is really all about how meditation affects the metabolism and not just the obvious one. I mean, I think the big part is looking at how, what we talked about, it affects the nervous system for the parasympathetic mode that, that stress response is a big part of the cortisol release and, and really, really intimately influences the metabolism and how our bodies, you know, hold on to fat or release fat in the body. But also a lot of the research that we've seen around people's relationship to food, you know, and how, how we eat and how we feed ourselves, um, looking at, you know, research around people who have eating disorders like bulimia and their ability to do a really simple practice like meditation where they're just simply kind of noticing without judgment, you know, without any desire to fix or change, um, just starting to notice our natural tendencies, research around, you know, people's food choices and how having a regular meditation practice can really influence that. You know, there's a, there's a lot around meditation. In fact, you're probably familiar with it. I, I definitely would say there's a lot, there's less around the physical practice, which is coming. We're actually starting, um, we've just hired someone at yoga medicine from Brown university who is leading our own research branch branch within yoga medicine, where we're running our own research experiments, um, looking at really more the physical practice of yoga, because, you know, that is definitely an area where research is lacking comparatively and, um, to meditation and, you know, I think it, it's time for it to, to come of age. <laughs> Well, for listeners who are curious about meditation, we have done a very in-depth episode on it on the podcast in the past. So that's definitely something to check out. And we also had a great interview uh, with a meditation teacher and entrepreneur, Vishen Lakiani. So if those are things that you're interested in. I highly recommend uh, checking both of those episodes out. Um, but I'm also curious, Tiffany, tell me a little bit about kind of how meditation impacts metabolism. That's something I'm fascinated with. Yeah. So the first part was what I was just mentioning around the connection to the parasympathetic response and the stress response and the cortisol release. So, you know, we see a lot around the cortisol and insulin response and how our body holds on to fat, how it, you know, really tells our body how to process the food that we take in. So, you know, there's a big part of it around that simple response that I already, you know, talked quite a bit around the, the parasympathetic response 
um, which is really tied into that, that stress response and the cortisol um, and the hormonal response of, of stress in both a, an acute and a, a chronic sense. Because as we start to get into more of that stress response, that, which is the sympathetic response, um, the fight or flight mode that I talked about before, we see this release of cortisol, this uh, release of insulin, and, and how our body then starts to hoard fat and hold on to fat. It has a very difficult time releasing um, fat. And by fat, I'm talking about adipose tissue, not to be confused with the, the fat that we eat, but, but also how we process the fat that we eat. Um, and so by really teaching the body how to um, kind of steer clear of that stress response, that chronic stress response, I, I found for myself, my first book was on um, optimal health. It was called Optimal Health for Vibrant Life. And it was really looking at yoga, nutrition, um, home remedies, and a lot of the things that I used with my patients. And one thing I found afterwards, after working with people for a while with that, was that there was a pretty good segment of people who were seeming to really do all the right, all the right things, right? With the internet and media now, we have so much access to eating well and exercising, um, but that weren't really changing. They weren't able to lose weight, weren't able to feel healthy. And um, I think for me, what I noticed was that a, a big part of it in my experience was one, the stress. There was this common theme of, of stress with many of those people, with most of those people. Um, and their ability then to kind of slow down and relax and integrate this parasympathetic response. The beauty of meditation for me is that it's not just that, like there's this very physical chemical component to it of looking at the regulation of the nervous system and the stress response, um, and cortisol and insulin. But what we're looking at really primarily is, is not just that, but really how we relate to food, how we nourish ourselves, this mindfulness that meditation allows us to really examine, why am I eating this? You know, even just to take a second, you know, before you sit down for a meal and notice how you feel, notice what you need in your body. It sounds kind of, kind of esoteric and vague, but to be able to check in and, and notice, you know, do I, do I need to eat this plate of sugar or bread or whatever it might be? Is this going to feel good? How do I feel after I eat? And again, the key is really, you know, without judgment so that, you know, they, they have actually done a lot of research around, you know, this ability to slow down and savor our food and, and feel more satisfied, you know, connected with a meditation practice and helping us understand, you know, what real physical hunger and, and fullness feel like, you know, so dealing with things like cravings, helping us, you know, just look at those cravings that come up and notice, you know, what it is our body is actually needing. And to me, meditation is also, you know, really helps people. There's so many diets out there. It really helps people understand for themselves what's really helping, you know, this, this concept of eating the right diet is really more of a brainy mentality versus actually experiencing what feels best in my body, because there's a diet that works for everyone and um, knowing which one to choose can be a lot. And so, you know, really understanding not only that, but our relationship to food, our relationship to our body image, how we see ourselves, you know, this concept of, you know, people who have are been really overweight for a long time and lose weight. And, you know, maybe they had to shift to go through a doorway or move differently in their day and they, they still move in those patterns. And, you know, the counter side of that is, um, you know, people who can't lose weight, who, who can't wrap their head around this new concept of change, this concept of them in a different body weight. And so, you know, looking at our self-concept, how we see ourselves, what we expect of ourselves. And, you know, it's very different than going through like counseling, which is fantastic. You know, I think very helpful. But, you know, it's this common thread of being able to observe without judgment, without having to fix, 
without even having to change, but being able to see how our habits, how they, you know, reflect on our bodies and our minds and our spirit. And, you know, to have the option to change if we want or, or not, if it feels like it's something we don't want to change or isn't helpful, but the option just to be able to observe. And so, you know, I think there's multiple layers to how meditation really influences us, not only for our metabolism, but for health in general, which is always to me of the utmost importance, more important than, than anything is just how do we feel better? How do we allow ourselves to be healthier, more functional, um, and more connected to the people around us? Really insightful. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I think that was an amazing kind of description of, of not only the power of meditation, but also specifically within the context of kind of health and, and, and body image and eating. What would one piece of homework be that you would give to somebody listening to this episode? Yeah, I think, you know, with our, with our understanding, we've talked a lot about the nervous system on this call. I mean, with our understanding of the nervous system that we've talked about, you know, with the parasympathetic mode and the sympathetic, one of the most important things, you know, that we start to learn now with this concept of neuroplasticity, which is just simply the concept that the brain and the nervous system can change. We used to think that, you know, once they were created and the neural connections were created in the body, that that was it. Now that we know that they can change, What's really important to that, um, whether you're practicing yoga or meditation or just kind of starting to be more mindful in your day, is that we do it really regularly. So, you know, whether you find a yoga pose that you like or a meditation practice that you like, the small things that you do really regularly, meaning every day, even if that's for three or five minutes a day, are going to be much more significant, much more powerful um, in whatever kind of change or transformation you're looking for or healing process you're looking for or health um, will be much more impactful than the things that you do for long periods of time infrequently. So whether it's something really simple like lying on your back for a few minutes every evening when you get home from work and just taking a few minutes to just breathe deeply to, you know, maybe count inhale for four counts and exhale for four counts and just take a moment to relax and allow your body to kind of slow down and you know, maybe it'll help with your sleep or just your ability to relax or how you feel in your body. Um, or maybe that's meditating, but to find just a few minutes that you can tap into that, you know, a day will be much more helpful than just going to one yoga class a week or a month, but that the yoga class once a week or a month can be a great way for you to learn that process as well. So small things done regularly make a big impact. Um, finding something that you can do daily, I think is really helpful. And what are some other books and resources you'd recommend listeners check out who want to kind of dig in and do some more homework about this topic? Gosh, there's one that's a really great book uh, called Yoga as Medicine, which is a great book. Um, there's an orthopedic doctor who talks about using yoga for different remedies. Um, there's, gosh, there's so many yoga books. I'm not really sure even where to begin, but um, that's probably a good one that comes to mind, I think. One of the things I really like to reinforce with people is that, you know, there can be this barrier of feeling like you have to learn a lot or know a lot before you start things. And I'm such a big fan of like the just do it, not just because I worked at Nike, but like jump in and, and start trying it and seeing what works for you. I wouldn't say that there's any specific books that stand out. I would, there's so many now I'd kind of go and kind of graze through the shelves and, and see what you like. But more importantly, I would go and, and experience the classes and find something you like so that you get out of the brainy mentality and, and really into your body. It's all about that body awareness. Yeah, I think it's key. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time at our computers and in our brains and gosh, I'm such a huge fan of books and reading. I've got so many, but 
I think, you know, in, in many, for many people in the modern day world, getting away from that and just getting into your body can be more helpful. <laughs> so where can people find you online? Um, all of my information is on just the yogamedicine.com website. Um, most of our social media is under yoga medicine as well. So they can follow us on Instagram or Facebook or mostly those two, I guess <laughs> that's probably enough. And on the yoga medicine website, we've got the find a teacher tool there for patients or students or doctors as a reference and, you know, all sorts of information on there as well. Um, articles and things for people. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And uh, I know listeners are going to have a ton of really informative takeaways about yoga and meditation from this interview. Thank you, Matt. It was great. Great to chat. Thank you so much for listening to the science of success. Listeners like you are why we do this podcast. The emails and stories we receive from listeners around the globe bring us joy and fuel our mission to unleash human potential. If you want to reach out, if you want to say hi, if you have a question for me, whatever it is, I read every single email that I get from listeners. And so far I've replied to every single one. My email is matt at scienceofsuccess.co. That's M-A-T-T at scienceofsuccess.co. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I'm more than happy to answer your question, hear your story, whatever it might be. And remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. Every single subscription, every single review boosts our rankings in the iTunes algorithm and spreads the podcast more and more so we can help more people. Lastly, as a thank you to you for being amazing listeners, I'm giving away a $100 Amazon gift card. All you have to do to be entered to win is to text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Or you can go to our website, scienceofsuccess.co, that's scienceofsuccess.co, and join the email list. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.